Hi, everyone. This is Teresa Gonzalez with Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Thank you for liking and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast platforms. Please go to our website, latinasb2b.com, for any additional information. Get ready. Our special guest is Oscar Garcia. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. As always, you can go to the website, latinasb2b.com, where I do have services available should you require how to leverage up your business, how you'd like to do some marketing services, and also if you're interested in how we can do some collaboration on a podcast. This podcast is going to be working with Oscar Garcia, Chief Empowerment Officer from the Silicon Valley, but has been in the Bay Area for a number of years. We worked together at Seagate for a mini stint, and I'd like to welcome Oscar back into Emeryville here at the Grill Studios. Hola, Oscar. <laughs> Thank you, Teresa, for having me on your podcast. And, uh, you know, uh, it's great to be back in uh, Emeryville slash Berkeley because I went to college at UC Berkeley. And, uh, go Bears. That's right. Go Bears. Go, go Bears. Bears. <laughs> um, in fact, actually, uh, earlier this week, I, I don't know, I got kind of a little nostalgic and I went on YouTube and I looked up the uh, the play at Stanford versus Cal. <laughs> oh, my God. You and my husband right now have just become best buddies because the play that football that that snippet oh my god and the bears have won (laughs) because they're running into the band in the end zone anyway if nobody knows about that go look it up it's kind of this funny video of cal and the stanford band crashing together in the end zone It's the best, uh, but yes, that's that's awesome, Oscar. That's a good one. Yeah, no, you no. weren't you weren't there. No, right? no, 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 okay, no. Okay, no. But anyway, so it's great to be back here in Emeryville because obviously it brings back some memories of when I uh, lived out here in the East Bay. And I also want to say that I'm I'm really proud of you for Aww. your the journey that you are now have embarked on and what you're transitioning. And really, I can really tell that you are love what you're doing because. You have a smile and you're always willing to do whatever it takes to move your business forward and quite frankly, to move your dreams. So um, congratulations. Oh, thank you, Oscar. That's really nice. I, that's so sweet coming from me because I've mentioned you actually in one of the very first podcast recordings a while back saying that, you know, I was at this transitional moment in my life of where I needed to pivot. Right. I was at that moment where I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired of the tech bullshit of what's going on in Silicon Valley with, you know, people of color, you know, the contract workers, blah, blah, blah. And we've been talking about that in other podcasts. And you were telling me about, you know, you're a chingona, you can do this. And so here you are. And I knew I was going to have you on a podcast because you really have this ability to move people into their purpose. Growing up, I remember my mom would frequently say, uh, oh, Oscar is just like his uncle. He's shy, he's reserved, no reservado, this and that. And I mean, she was right, actually, because I remember like in high school and college when you tend to do more group projects and then speaking in front of the class, I was petrified to do any speaking in front of the class. I would tell my friends, my group, 
listen, I will write the paper. I will research the uh, the topic. I'll write the paper. But when it comes time to actually doing the presentation, hell no, you guys do the talking. But the thing is that unlike other introverts, I didn't like being that way. Mm-hmm. I wanted to change. I, I had a very good friend of mine in college, Will Rivera, who's now an attorney down in Southern California. That dude was the opposite of me. We we took classes together, and he I Cal I Cal and uh, we read the same material and everything. And man, that guy, if he was called on, he could talk for 10, 15 minutes straight, no notes or anything. And I just admire that about about Will. I'm like, wait a minute, how in the heck? Where does he come up with all these things? Mm-hmm. But for me, again, it was a motivator to change because. I wanted to be like Will. I mm-hmm. wanted to be able to speak. And it's taken me a long time. It's taken me 25 years to be on this journey to to change. Wow. 25 years. And what a journey. Because now you're the chief empowerment officer because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that that's, I think that's great. And I remember you telling me help other Latinos or folks who are just having a hard time. You know, how do they get that confidence and that kind of, you know, where they stand in their power. And we're always wanting to, to listen and know more about that. And you had shared a story with me that resonated in, you know, we have that power. I think if we look back into a moment in time where we can say, you know what, I stood up for my familia. I had to take care of my grandmother. I had to take care of my mother. I was the translator for, you know, medicina or, you know, whatever it was because they didn't speak the language. Mm -hmm. And I mean, those are stories that I think people need to realize they should not be embarrassed or feel bad that they had to do this, but that it it gives you strength to say, hey, you know, I mean, I know what I'm doing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So can you, I I love that story. Can you share that story? You know, looking back uh, for me, I, I started elementary school, kindergarten, only speaking Spanish. And granted, when you're young like that, picking up another language, in this case, English, uh, it's a lot easier than when we're an adult. And by the time second half of kindergarten, I understood some English and and could speak, you know, start speaking uh, English as well. I became my parents' translator. And wherever it is that they went, they took me along to translate. And then the other thing, too, is that at home, my dad was very strict with my with me and my younger brother in that he only wanted us to speak Spanish at home. My dad had this thing that uh, if he saw a Latino or someone, you know, that uh, he felt, you know, looked Mexican, he would say, and they didn't speak uh, Spanish. Oh my gosh, that would just piss off my dad because he was like, oh my gosh, you know, he has the nopal, he has the cactus on his forehead. Why can't he speak uh, uh, Spanish, you know? Right? I have the nopal. I do. It comes out here and there, but it's not fluent. And I, I will fall on the sword about that and say that I am not fluent in Spanish and there is a little bit of I want to say shade and side eye from other Latinas or like, what? What do you mean yes. you don't speak Spanish? And I'm like, no, I do. Like, I grew up listening to it. But we have our stories. Exactly. Okay. And see, that's as I've gotten older, and especially when I was at, um, at Berkeley, because I majored in Chicano studies, I would get some of the 
Latinos at Cal, because I joined a traditional regular fraternity, quote unquote, a white fraternity. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I kind of got shunned. Oh, that's a whole podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it definitely is. (laughs) I kind of got shunned by some Latinos at Cal because I joined this quote unquote white fraternity. And they're like, oh, you're not Mexican enough, Oscar. You're not Latino. And I'd be like, well, well, taking Chicano studies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, but but this is, and this goes to the point about, you know, that there, we all have a story because I would think to myself, wait a minute, Gavron, you're <laughs> crapping on me because I joined this quote unquote white fraternity, yet you can't speak Spanish. And in fact, ketchup is hot for you. Like, what the heck is here? And I'm not saying anything to you. Uh-huh. And that's where it opened also my eyes and reaffirmed that, hey, wait a minute, you know what? Every single one of us, has a story to tell. We have our own journey and we are not to judge other people for whether they speak Spanish, whether they not, because at the end of the day, we're all part of this big giant mud bone here. And as we say, we are stronger together and um, versus, you know, fighting amongst each other, right. nitpicking amongst each other. So, um, yeah, I mean, hey, man, if you speak Spanish, great. And if and if you don't speak Spanish, I mean, that's fine. What, what's more important is where's your heart and what are you looking to do to help other people? Right, right. So, and, and that's your purpose because what a lot of people talk about is, oh, find your find your passion. And there's passion, yes, it's, it's your motivation. But your purpose is like this thing that's just burning in your gut. That's like, oh, I got to do this. You know, that is what gives your passion the fire, right? To get you to move towards that. So I think there's two different things. And I'm always like, what is your purpose that you're calling? Because it's a thread throughout your life. I feel that's pulling you. And you might go in different directions here and there in your life of what you choose and mistakes and things, but there is a, there is a purpose there. And so I, my thought on myself is that my purpose is to really educate, you know, uh, Latina women to reach back, to share my experiences, to talk about what's really going on. If you get into the business world as a woman of color, I mean, there are very successful Latinas out there this is no chide on them that, hey, we're here too. But there's a lot of us that have to come together and recognize more doors have to be open. Mm-hmm. And when we try to open those doors for ourselves, we're still knocking on the doors of people that are not that don't look like us. Mm-hmm. They don't have our same experiences. And we need that bridge to be built in, in a way. And I like that how you go into your talks, Oscar, that you give with career groups or like you said, this the speaking engagement you're going to have. Because you're really giving a lot of creativity and design on how they want to design their story and craft their story of themselves for their interviews, for their purpose and why they would like to work at a company or if they want to start their own business. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I think starting your own business is great, which is what I do. Not everybody can do it. But if you have the opportunity to do your side hustle and work at the same time and transition, that's always, you know, something because right now Latinos, and I'll say it again, 
I will say it until I am blue in the face, is that we have an economic buying power of 1.7 trillion, that's with a T, across the United States, okay? That's not even global. And when we talk about our economic buying power, how we move products and services across these big corporations or how we are influencing a lot of buying power and marketing, this is where I think that we need to understand more of how we can work together and really kind of empower ourselves to generate more money in our communities, create legacy wealth for our communities, and try and, and leave a legacy that will give, you know, a couple steps up to mm -hmm. the next um, the next generation. So I want to talk a little bit about how you go into these. You just came from Panama. Yes. And I love that you went there. You got invited. And why were you invited down to Panama? So I was invited to do a series of eight talks in Panama through the U.S. Embassy in Panama and... Uh, to do some LinkedIn training. Mm -hmm. And over there in Panama, I spoke to university students, uh, women's groups, business owners. I spoke to professionals, just a variety uh, of groups. And I, it was it was such an eye-opening experience for me because the truth is, initially I thought, okay, I'm going to go to Panama. You know, we all, um, and I'm guilty of this too, that uh, living in Silicon Valley, right? We feel like, you know, it's the epicenter of everything and we're like, hip and current and all the new technology, social media and all that type of stuff. Oh my gosh, I went over there and people, a lot of them have a LinkedIn account. So it's more of like, okay, I have a LinkedIn account, but teach me how it is that I can maximize this versus let me tell you what LinkedIn is. It's kind of like Facebook, but for professional, You're like <laughs> I didn't have to start that basic. Uh -huh. So um, yeah, it was an awesome experience and I'm actually um, uh, going to be heading back there in about three weeks uh, to do some more trainings. Right. And this is just, uh, this is just proof again, that there is a, people are missing the market with us. And like I said, we're, we're here to do it, right. you know, on our own. So I want to, I want to talk about how, when you go to these workshops and you provide these, I want to say creative spaces, it's a creative space mm -hmm. that you're, you're giving to the community and to folks that really want to understand how do I do this on LinkedIn? We don't, I think as a, as a community, a lot of us, we don't have a set space where we can just sit and think and do something very creative. And if you do, that is awesome, mm -hmm. right? I think it can be applied to a lot of different things that we can move the community in or to volunteer for nonprofits or how you want to apply it to your job. But I think something that we all talk about is just having that quiet creative space, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So how do you do that? Well, um, you mean in terms of how I teach other people? Yeah, uh, like yeah. How, how do you come up with creating like I want to create this space and because you have to have activities right you, you're just not there right what I tell people is a dog with a note in his mouth can teach you how to set up your LinkedIn profile that's wow. easy okay <laughs> like listen okay the the thing that I realized that LinkedIn is it's just a tool it's like imagine carpenter or construction worker with a with, with he or she has a tool belt on and they have a screwdriver, hammer, and whatever other tools, right? And so depending on the situation, you're going to use the appropriate tool. That's how I see LinkedIn. However, the approach that I take is the 
what I refer to as I empower others so opportunities come to them. And one of the foundational ways to do it is to understand why you do what you do. And by looking back also at your experiences, your career journey, those stories that we talk about mm -hmm. and how you can take in some cases, those stories, maybe some of the challenges that we've gone through and look for the positive. Mm -hmm. I also say, listen, we all go through crap. Crap stinks, mm -hmm. but it's also fertilizer. <laughs> okay. That's great. And how we react to the challenges in life is our choice. <laughs> well, you know, there's a good, uh, I want to say metaphor to that. Has anyone seen The Martian out there? That movie, The Martian? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, he used his own crap for growing <laughs> potatoes so he could survive. So there you go. <laughs> See, I knew it was onto something. <laughs> so if he can do it, <laughs> if he can do it, you can do it too. Oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> so I know we're being serious here because you're... Your personal ID, your content of how you promote yourself on LinkedIn for a job, or just even if you're you're your own entrepreneur and you're going to sell yourself into a partnership or how you want to work with somebody, collaboration is, you know, what is your story? What is it that you have to offer? Yeah. How do you differentiate yourself? You know, what are your experiences you can pull from mm -hmm. that's going to connect you what do you say, Oscar, to attract people yeah. to you? And it's it, it takes some time yes, to, it does. to think about it. You just can't slap it on there and just hope and pray. No, you, you know what? It, it is. It comes down to also to being authentic or, or vulnerable. And I also say to people, it's a process. Being authentic and being vulnerable, it's a process. I've gone through my own share of, again, challenges uh some that were out of my control and others that i created myself okay mm. i'm not perfect and you know to be able to share some of the things that i've shared whether on a talk or uh on, on on social media it's taken me some time and but it's also been part of that healing process mm. and so one of the things that i encourage people to do to to help them be more uh, with their vulnerability is what I call the three R's. Number one is be real. Mm. Meaning, see, on social media, typically people post all the quote-unquote good stuff, okay? Or, you know, the, the pictures, you know, the selfies with a certain angle because it makes you look skinny or whatever. And, and the thing is, is that when we look back at someone that we highly admire and they share some of the challenges that they've gone through and how they overcame those challenges and the lessons they learned, they learned, we get a newfound appreciation for that person. We're like, wow, if he or she went through that, I can do it too. Yeah. And, and that's part of what I mean by being real. It's share some of the, some of the, 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 the challenges that you have gone through, or maybe you're going through because you know what? We will be surprised that we're actually not the only ones going through those challenges. And sometimes people will comment and provide their own advice, their own two cents that can help us as well. Right. But you gotta, you know, be real. The second one is being relatable. And with that, I, I like for me, I do talks for, like I said, students, college students, professionals, 
people that are 40 and older or whatever. And I also tell people like, listen, it's important for us to associate with people that are not like us so that we can understand a different perspective. And then we can also as well uh, be able to relate to a right. variety of people. Right. And the last, the last one, uh, sorry, the last R is the, the whole thing being respectable, uh, respectful. So be real, relatable, and respectful. Oscar, I really want to ask you on the vulnerability part. It's really hard for Latino men, I think, just from the, you know, cultura, that to be vulnerable is weakness. And, you know, don't be, don't be a sissy, you know, mm -hmm. don't be this mm -hmm. and... Yep. You know, it's like, you know, man up, yes. you know, this kind of stuff. Like you can't be vulnerable. And and that's a big issue going around right now about men. Well, just with everything in particular, uh, you know, especially with politics, there's a lot of male energy to be strong and not to be vulnerable. Yes. How do you overcome that challenge, especially with cultures you know, people of color, the men, you know, they're told, like, don't cry, yes. be strong, man up, yes. don't be a sissy, you know, these kinds of things. And, you know, that's hard, yes. I think. Oh, my gosh, you're totally hitting on something that you're spot on. I remember growing up, you know, my dad, my dad was a typical uh, macho father, very uh, patriarchal uh, household uh, family that I grew up in. And, uh, yeah, my dad would be like, mijo, los hombres no lloran, you know, son, you know. Men don't cry. Yeah. But then, then all of a sudden, I'm an 80s, okay? So, kid, okay? Grew up in the 80s. And then I was in high school. And then The Cure, if you remember The Cure, uh -oh, then they came out with that song. With the Cure. Same thing. Boys don't cry. I'm like, but what? Okay. <laughs> then I heard Banda Macho song, Los Hombres También Lloran. Men do cry. And I was really fucked up confused, okay? <laughs> like, what the heck? What do I do now here? Do I listen to my dad? Do I listen to Banda Machos, you know? Is it okay to cry? And here's the thing, though. Well, when you listen to mariachis and you're like, you know, Vincent Fernandez, and he's like, oh, yes. you know, I mean, they're crying on the exactly. music. Exactly. It's like, you know. Exactly. I think the only time we're, quote, unquote, supposed to cry as Latinos is when we're drunk, man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not good. No, no, that's no. That's not good. No. But you know what, though? It's the, I don't know, irony or dichotomy, whatever the right word is, of the Latino culture, right? That we're told one thing, but then the reality is, in certain aspects, we're supposed to let out our emotion, or it's okay to let out our emotions. And here's the thing, though, that I realized also from my parents and in uh, with Latino culture, we are the ones that came up with the phrase, mi casa es tu casa. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That means that you, I don't know you, but I trust you enough to welcome you into my home, my sacred space. In other words, I'm making myself vulnerable to walk in mm -hmm. into my space. When you then, what I've translated that into, in terms of our expression, the best way to connect with someone and for lasting, you know, friendship, you know, whatever, even a business relationship is to connect with the person's heart. Mm -hmm. And how you connect with the person's heart is by you sharing your vulnerability, maybe something, you know, a situation or something that's happened. Because mm -hmm. then you take the relationship to a deeper, more meaningful level. Right. Empathy. Exactly. Empathy. Yes. So empathy is a big word being thrown around right yes. now because we have to relate to other people's experiences yes. even just to move forward in this next political election <laughs> i don't mean to go there but i think that 
part of the, the career journey is, I think, on the other side, not for people of color, but for management, and that's really what's happening today, is that they are trying to get into that empathy space to understand our struggles, our cultura, our what we have done in the past. They will never have that experience, but I think their mind has to be open and understand the journey that it took for us to get here. Right. Right? Yes. And that has always been a big a hook for me that I've just never been able to have with management too much or, or to connect because I'm, you know, I bust my butt and I'm doing all these things and it's like I'm working hard because I think back, you know, I was working seven to three job, you know, going to work at seven o'clock in the morning. This was when I was going to school, getting off at three, studying, having to go to night class getting out of school at 10 and then doing it all over again. Mm -hmm. And then on my days off, I was always in the library, you know, working hard. I mean, there were just, those were the, I call those the grind days, yes. serious grind days. And you've had them too. Absolutely. You know, I didn't get to go to Cal. I went to San Francisco state, as I've mentioned before, and I had to pay for my education. Mm -hmm. You know, I did it all myself. Mm -hmm. And that was a really hard challenge because you know, I'm a business major. That's a lot of math. And people say, oh, you know, a lot of women say, oh, I'm not good in math. I'm not good in math. It's like, I used to think I wasn't good in math. You just have to apply yourself. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, you know what? If I can do this, work seven to three, go to school, whatever it is, y you can do it. You just have to apply yourself. Yes. And that's how you differentiate yourself. So when you go to that job, and you express and you tell them all, you know, you don't have to go through your whole life journey, but there are certain instances where they see what you've done that will get you that leg up. Yes. And yes, go on, Oscar. Well, you know, and, and also uh, not only, you know, like you said, you know, sharing kind of part of our, our journey, but the other thing too that I share with people is, is that when we are looking for a job, it is a company has their culture, company culture, or corporate, you know, fit or whatever. Okay, and I think that's a bullshit line, by the way. No, well, yes. However, there is right. Like here's here's the thing. I mean, I understand it's important from a strategy level to some degree, but I'll let you finish. I'm sorry. So here's the thing: is is that whether a company has it or not, it's there, okay? And, and what I tell people is you should also understand what your values are, the type of company you want to work for. And if it doesn't match your values, then it's okay for you also to walk away from an opportunity. Because I have been in a situation where I took a job because I needed a paycheck, even though I didn't really kind of like the culture, at least during the interview mm -hmm. and, and so forth. And you know what? Within six weeks of being at that job, I was unhappy and I left. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't do my due diligence or whatever, call it going with your gut. And so that's part of what I mean, too, is, is that it's about also we empowering ourselves and realize I don't need 10 job offers. I just need one mm -hmm. that matches my skill sets, my passion, my values. And if it's not there, say bye to that opportunity. Go find someone else. Go find another opportunity. Right. But sometimes it's not that easy for, let's say, you know, 
uh, migrant workers that want that are working here and they are contributing to the economy right so let's take let's take education let's take the I forget the number of millions of migrants that come into California and they contribute to the economy right. overall and there are some success stories and there are nonprofits that are out there not just to help the migrant entrepreneurs because there are migrant entrepreneurs out there they are contributing to this economy it's over seven billion dollars and that's just from immigrant entrepreneurs and what i mean by that is a lot of us are immigrants here there's a lot of middle eastern immigrants that come here mm -hmm. and they start their little business well you know those are success stories because they're leaving a legacy for their families so that they can start a better life here mm -hmm. and why is that because where they're coming from is very dangerous or they were going to die so they come here to do only what they know best right. and maybe that's food maybe that's you know selling you know chicharrones or being a butcher you know back then it was easier it's a lot harder now mm -hmm. so there's a story i want to share with you oscar about this woman she just made tamales wow her name is alicia <laughs> She, her name is Alicia, and she makes Los Mayas tamales. And she is a immigrant who just made tamales. She went to La Cocina, which is a incubator uh, restaurant place in San Francisco. And she started uh, because she was selling, and they said, "Hey, you know, why don't you come here and we'll give you some skills." For you to learn how to maybe sell your tamales. Mm -hmm. This is tamales. <laughs> tamales. My no. mom made tamales too. And I make tamales yeah. during Christmas. Yes. You know, that's one of the things I love to do. I used to do it with my grandmother when she was alive. And I still do it now. Right. And I'm trying to get my nieces to do awesome. it with me. But I'm, I, I digress. <laughs> so back to Alicia. She is an immigrant worker. And we're talking about opportunities. She had this purpose and this passion. She loved it. She wanted to feed people with her tomales. She went to the La Cocina. There are opportunities there. You just have to know where to look. Right. Yes. And so now she has her own business. 6,000 square feet of production that wow. she has funded by a nonprofit, the Opportunity Fund, that gave her the money and the skills to help her run her business. Nice. And now she's opening and has she's gonna have a place at the Chase Stadium here in San Francisco, <laughs> making, and she, right now she's making 40,000 tamales a month. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I now she's going to be selling them at the Chase Center. They brought her in to say, we want you to sell your tamales here awesome. at the Chase Center in San Francisco. What a great story. Is that crazy? I love tamales, it. Tamales, people. <laughs> tamales. And you know what my friend told me once, or my dad? I can't remember which one it was, but my dad is my friend. Is that, you know, whatever happens, beans and rice will get you through it. No matter yeah. what. Beans and rice. Okay? That got me through college. <laughs> okay? Just beans and rice, people. <laughs> so, Oscar, with, uh, you know, your story and your journey and how your family was here, how did you get to Cal? I want to know how yeah, you got, how to, I got Cal. To, to Cal. Yes. I have, in my family, have been very blessed to have people that helped us. And in my case, 
I had my neighbor who became my little league coach and my chauffeur. Uh, he one day I remember your chauffeur. Yeah, let me explain. Yeah, yeah. he. So I went, wait. You I, wait. You had a chauffeur. I had a chauffeur. <laughs> I wish I had, uh, I knew where he was. You know now, but I remember we lived in this large apartment complex, and you know. Back then as a kid, right, you played outside. Today you're playing inside video games or whatever. Back then you were playing outside. Right. And so, you know. Just, Your parents are throwing you out. Yeah. Get outside. Get out. You know? <laughs> and um, I was just, you know, throwing rock, grabbing a broomstick and swinging it, trying to hit the rock and all that. And uh, I didn't know that he was a Little League uh, baseball coach. And so one day he asked me, he said, hey, Oscar, would you like to play baseball? And I'm like, I looked at him. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, but. Like, where? I had no idea. Well, it turns out that he uh, was a coach for a Little League team next city over. And I lived in Mount, Mountain View, and he was in Sunnyvale. Mm -hmm. And I asked my parents, I'm like, hey, is it okay? And they're like, sure. But my dad at the time was working two jobs. My mom didn't drive. So there was no way that they could take me. And so my coach became my chauffeur, my driver, taking uh... me to and from the games. In uh, middle school, I had Mr. Rodriguez, who was my Spanish teacher, who encouraged me and, you know, in terms of taking Spanish, writing and reading it and all that. In but high you spoke Spanish. Yes, uh -huh. yes. Uh, by the way, a little side note, I actually minored in Spanish at Cal, and some people would say, wait a minute, but you speak Spanish, Oscar. How come you're minoring and in, 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 or taking Spanish classes? I'm like, listen, knucklehead, how come you're majoring in English if you speak English? <laughs> Reason, Check. knucklehead, <laughs> and um, but but uh, and then high school, my uh, Mr. Randall, geometry teacher, who took a liking to me and and his style of teaching. I'm a visual kind of type of learner, mm -hmm. and and nonprofits. These people, these organizations, served as my bumper pad in life to kind of keep me from going into the gutter. Mm, and that's awesome. And yeah, and and so in high school, time came around. I knew I wanted to go to college, and I'm the only one of my siblings of a total of 10 that went off to college. And and I knew I wanted to go to college. I didn't really have an idea where. I remember my so excuse me, my junior year, my high school counselor calling me into the office and said, Hey, Oscar, you have some decent grades. What do you want to do after, you know, you graduate from high school? And again, the truth is, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I kind of had an idea, but I knew how to play the game, meaning like give them the answers they want to hear so they can shut up and leave you alone. You know, it's kind of like the way we do with our parents, you know, mm -hmm. back then, like, let me just tell them so they can get off my back and stop asking me questions. Mm -hmm. So I just said, I, I want to go to college. And she said, well, where? I said, now here's the thing, okay? For many Latinos, right? Family is very important. And we want to stay close to our family. So I said, well, I don't know, somewhere close to here. And she looked up uh, my grades and the grades of, other UC schools and she said well based on your grades uh, grades and SAT score how about UC Santa Cruz now again no knock on uh, on UC Santa Cruz but then I remember banana slugs <laughs> <laughs> but then I remember Berkeley because at the time my uncle lived right on the in Oakland right on the border of Berkeley and Oakland and I remember UC Berkeley and it's also close to Mountain View and so I said what about UC Berkeley and she said now because your grades and SAT scores are not high enough, oh. I don't encourage you to apply. Well, here's one thing about me, though. Wow. I am negatively motivated. You tell me I can't do something, mm -hmm. and I'm going to prove you wrong. Yep. I walked out of her office, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and apply to UC Berkeley. And I did in a bunch of other UC schools. And Berkeley was the very first school that I received. Uh, <gasps> I actually got accepted to all the UC schools. I think it was wow. five or six. Berkeley was the first one. And obviously, Berkeley is a top-ranked university in the world. Uh, and uh, and so, yeah, I went to Berkeley. Oh, my God. Now, just think. 
how your life would have changed I know. had you not done that. Because she said, no, yes. I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, do you, I, it just makes me sick to my stomach of how many kids yes. have been told that and they don't do it. Yes. And they're like, okay, I'll just go to community college or they don't have that, right. you know, that lift. Yeah. Right. And a lot of kids of color in these communities, they don't have the resources or their counselors are overwhelmed and they should be telling all the kids, you know what? You're all college bound. It's up to you yes. if you want to work towards it, because I see you all in college if you want to go. But no, if they're telling you, I know. No, don't go. It's like just crushing your dreams. But do you think maybe that was a motivator for you? Like, oh yeah, 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 definitely. Was. No, no, I it, mean it, her doing that purposely oh, to, to to drive no, you. No, 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 mm -hmm. no, no, no. That's mm -hmm. not uh, that's not her style. That's not the way no, it works. No, 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 and, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> and uh, you know, my message to adults, people that are in a position where you are influencing the life of a young person is man help these young folks dream big yeah dream big quit you know trying to be realistic you know like oh i don't want to get your hopes up hell no get th that's one of the things that i do that's one of the reasons why i do what i do because i love helping other dream people dream bigger because you know what i would rather die trying something Whoa. than settling for just a mediocre life I've heard this, I don't know, I think maybe it was Les Brown. I love, you know, listening to motivational speakers, okay? Where the place that, that is full of dreams mm -hmm. is the cemetery. Whoa. People that had these ideas that they wish they could, you know, that, you know, and I, I know these people too, I'm relatives or close friends, like, oh my gosh, I have this crazy idea. I'd really want to do this. And you're like, okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. okay. And then life happens. They don't do anything. And then sadly, they're gone. And that idea is in that cemetery. And you know what? No, I don't want to be that way. I want to be, you know, I'll try something. And if it works, awesome. And if it doesn't, okay, well, at least I learned a lesson too. Yeah. As for these young folks, my message to them is don't let anyone, anyone steal your dream. And I want you also to realize, I don't know why this is, but the people that are closest to us, in some cases, our parents, our siblings, or our close friends are gonna be the biggest dream stealers. And you know what? You have to persevere in spite of uh, that negativity. Never forget where you came from. Always be compassionate, always be graceful. Come back, because one day they're gonna ask you for their help and you wanna be in that position to be able to help them. Yeah, no truer words have ever been said. I wanna also add to that when you go on about don't let your dreams die, you know, dream big. A lot of kids and everybody, including me at one point, says, oh, but, you know, it just takes money. Mm -hmm. oh, everything takes money. It takes money. It's like, you know, if you have, if there's a will, yeah. there's a way. The mm -hmm. money will come. Yes. It will come. Because even if you go to school and you have a loan or you're like, oh, crap, I'm going to be in debt. You know what? You're going to go get that job that you're going to kick ass on and the money will come and you'll pay off that yes. loan. I mean, that's what I did. Mm -hmm. I, I paid off my loans mm -hmm. with, you know, working in tech and I learned a lot and 
that was really hard because it's like, you know, having a loan. But you know what I call it? It's an investment in myself. I yes. said, I am my own Mercedes right now right. in life. I am my own, you know, whatever you want to call it, Lambo now, right? <laughs> yes. Kids are calling it, I need my Lambo, <laughs> right? Or your Ferrari. It's like, that's you. That's you, right? That yes. is you going through your life and how you're getting your education and how you make your way through the life. And maybe that sounds a little weird and corny or, oh, that's stupid. But you know what? If you're waiting for somebody to give you that money or you feel that your dream is hung up on that piece, then you're never going to get there. Right. And um, I don't know. Is that I, I agree with you. And, and that has been true in my case with my business. I didn't start with any capital. What well, I look at Alicia, the tamale lady yes. that I just talked about. Tamales. Yeah. And now she's, you know, hiring. She's got 20 employees. She's at the Chase Center. You know, she took out, she went to this nonprofit. They gave her a loan. She got her business. They gave her the skills. You got to surround your people, yourself with those people that will help you, yes. right? I think the main things that we need to have in order to start something, whether it's a business or start, you know, a new career transition is what we say in Spanish, ganas, the desire. Sí. Because échale ganas. That's right. Uh, my dad would say that a lot. Mijo, échale ganas, échale ganas. You know, like, you know, go after it, do it, try it. Have that desire, that will. And when I look at, for example, the journey of my starting my business, I didn't have capital. I didn't invest capital. I didn't even have the skill set to do what I do and the knowledge. Because, see, is that the other thing, too? Oftentimes we get hung up. And it's like, okay, I need to have really know what it is that I need to do. I have an email from four and a half years ago with a good friend of mine who, when I was looking to leave the chamber and transition out of it, she, and she still does, does some LinkedIn training. I had her look at my LinkedIn profile. And so, yeah, I didn't have any knowledge of LinkedIn, but I learned it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, just be willing to put myself out there and learn. And like you said, get around people that can mentor you, that can guide you, provide you that direction. Yeah. Because... As you had mentioned, right, for you starting your business and you do this LinkedIn training and you said what you Googled LinkedIn, yes. LinkedIn trainers in the Bay Area. Yes. Right. I, yeah. See, I um, and again, I mean, I, I have maybe one day I'll do a talk or write something about all the things that I did wrong, unconventional in terms of starting <laughs> your business, because. Hey, th that's great. Yeah. Because I, then you learn. Right. Absolutely. I just last week, after almost four years of being and doing what I do, I finally went on to Google or excuse me, to LinkedIn and I typed in LinkedIn trainer, San Francisco Bay Area and nearly 24,000 people showed up with that. Now, granted, not all doesn't mean that all 24,000 do LinkedIn training, but even if we just do the numbers, say half of those 12,000, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of competition. Right. But. I don't give a rip about the competition. I'm not there to focus on the competition. What I'm there to, what I'm here to do is to focus on the needs of my clients and how I can best serve them. Right, exactly. And I think I mentioned with that competition and there's so many of us that, oh, well, how am I going to differentiate myself or, you know, what is it? You have to focus on your customers yes. or what your your industry folks are because Malcolm Gladwell that's his mm -hmm. name he brought up this and everybody can YouTube this because it's pretty awesome is he talks about spaghetti sauce <laughs> and I say we're like spaghetti sauce 
And it's like, what? Spaghetti sauce. Well, if you go into the store, right, yeah. and you're you're going down the aisle, same with tomato sauce, salsas, salsas. <laughs> Why are there so many freaking tomato sauces and spaghetti sauces and salsas? Well, because everyone has a different taste. Right. Everybody wants a specific type of sauce that they like yes. that makes them happy yes. that they want to eat they want to consume they want to buy yes. so that is where you are your own spaghetti sauce <laughs> <laughs> you're your own salsa make yourself your own specialty salsa because that's just the way the american you know we're we're not just a one size fits all no. there's a lot of choices out there so how are you going to be the choice that someone wants you have to obsess yes as that's a leapfrog hacks and it's called disrupting the status quo and being an entrepreneur it's pretty awesome and i forget the number of the hack but the hack is obsess over your customers yes. and not your competition no, exactly and be your own spaghetti sauce that's mine yes that's that's my hack that's my i love it be I your love own it. spaghetti sauce. I love be it. your own salsa <laughs> <laughs> you know you, you reminded me too when i did a career transition from tech to the um to go work at the chamber as a president CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. In Silicon Valley? Yes, in mm -hmm. Mountain View there in Silicon Valley. And I um, I didn't have any experience. I, honestly, I didn't even know what a Chamber of Commerce did. And, uh, uh, really? and yeah, and, and thank God to my good friend uh, who was on the board there, Maurice, who encouraged me to apply for the position. And I did. I The board took a chance on me. But there's a lot. Almost every city has a Chamber of Commerce. And mm -hmm. here in the Bay Area, obviously, there are a lot of Chambers of Commerce. I didn't go out and talk to other chambers of commerce executives to figure out how to run my chamber of commerce with the exception of one. Steve Van Dorn, who at the time led the uh, Santa Clara Chamber of Commerce, loved that guy, good friend of mine, and he and I sat down many times and he actually gave me some great advice. But other than that, I didn't reach out to others. And the reason I didn't is because I didn't want to duplicate what these other chambers of commerce were doing mm -hmm. because these other chambers of commerce were operating as a status quo. Mm. They were their grandfather's chamber of commerce. Mm. And I actually came up with the tagline uh, that we are not your grandfather's chamber of commerce. Typically what that means is when we think of a chamber of commerce, we think of it as the good old boys network, mm -hmm. white older professionals, uh, conservative, maybe Republican sort of kind of leaning, et cetera, and so mm -hmm. forth obviously pro-business and we didn't want to run the chamber our board i didn't want to run our chamber like that we needed to differentiate ourselves in order to attract a lot of the startups that are there in mountain view younger professionals etc and mm -hmm. so forth and so um yeah you know to your point going, going back is is that you know be obsessed with your client not the competition right exactly because that's where you will they see that and then they will it will come to you in that fashion. So I want to bring up one last uh, question because we're talking about the Chamber of Commerce and, you know, how the old guard is leaving and the new guard is coming into, I want to say, business. And a lot of young people, Latinos, are coming in. They're also trying to get their seat at the table in tech, Right. Yes. How do I get my seat at the table? You know, a lot of Latinas I see on IG, Instagram, they're like, build your own fucking table. Mm -hmm. You know, bring the goddamn table. We don't need the pinchy table. Yes. You know, we're tired of waiting. And I'm, I'm all down for that. 
But, you know, what would you say? Because that's the hardcore value I'm going to, <laughs> I go for. <laughs> but what would you say, Oscar? You know, let me use sports analogy, and I'll use baseball since now we're in the playoffs. And, uh, and go this A's. Is, yes, go A's. And, Come on, uh, A's. You got to win tonight, uh, baby. I'm a Bayer fan, so, so A's, Giants, that's fine. But, um, you know, the goal is to win. Okay, to win the championship, or in this case, the World Series. And we need um, a player, the best player in the different position out there. You cannot win a World Series with a team of nine pitchers. Mm. You can't win either with a team of only designated hitters. You need to have different people out there to win. And so I'm actually, I, I support, bring your own damn table, create it, build it, whatever. Yes. I also support, though, and I think it's important that we also have um, people that are supporters, that believe in the cause as well, that are in the traditional corporate America, Fortune 100 companies, mm -hmm. or in politics and government. Because when we look back in history, whether it's the civil rights movement, whether, you know, the Chicano movement or whatever issue it is, there were people in different positions that bought into the cause, mm -hmm. la causa, that supported that cause. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I use this, the analogy of, of a sports team, of baseball, right. that I think it's important. So, I mean, whatever you want to do, whatever works best for you, do it. And just focus on the end goal, and that is to make change so that there is more diversity, more inclusion. Right. Echa la ganas. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Oscar, this has been an awesome conversation. I really loved having you here, and I hope we can do another one, maybe in an event somewhere, or how we want to collaborate in a speaking engagement for our communities. So I'd, I'd be welcome to that. Uh, and thank you. you're always welcome back here. So with that, I want to, you know, give you a big hug. Uh, and, thank you. <laughs> and thank you so much for putting me in my role today because of you telling me I was a chingona. Yes, I'm here yes. right now doing this. So thank no, you. No, well, thank you, Teresa, for having me here. And again, um, I'm enjoying seeing your journey and not just your journey, but I know you are also influencing, impacting other women and um, just people in general. So uh, again, congratulations. To ah, you. We're just going to see.